When it comes to investing, retirement, and legacy planning, the decisions you make today can greatly impact the quality of life for both you and your loved ones tomorrow. Good news. You found the Growing Your Wealth radio show with Brian Evans. Brian is the founder of Madrona Financial Services, and with his background as a CPA, he brings a unique perspective to the investment and financial planning world. So get ready for an hour full of the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Thank you so much. Welcome to Growing Your Wealth, the show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to invest better, live better, retire better, and give better. My name's Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions, but the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. Brian, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks, Jeff. Always glad to hear that, Brian. I hope our listeners are doing well today, too. Thanks again for joining us here on another fine edition of Growing Your Wealth. Once again, we are a podcast. If you missed any part of the program today or you'd like to hear any of our shows over again, we have more than 120 podcasts listed on any variety of different topics. Simply go to where you get your podcasts, search Brian Evans, Growing Your Wealth, and you'll find the answers to your questions right there. On today's show, we're going to be talking about advanced gifting strategies, minority and lack of marketability discounts, also Washington State estate tax rules. We'll also be talking about why you should roll over your 401k at age 59 and a half. But first, Brian, let's talk about gifting to children and gift tax returns. Is gifting to children a little more complicated than it seems on the surface? Well, it depends on how much you're gifting. And there's a lot of confusion about gift tax rules, you know, gifting rules. And so I wanted to try and clear some of that stuff up. This affects a lot of us because most people that have children want to make sure their kids have a better life than they had. And gifting may be part of the strategy. Now, we all know sometimes gifting can have the negative effect. You know, it can take away some of your, your oomph to push forward, you know, if you get too much too early and you didn't work for it. So, you know, it's it's a two-sided coin, this whole world of gifting. I want to talk about the rules primarily. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the wisdom behind gifting and maybe how to gift and, and so forth. So we'll, we'll try and cover all that in this segment. But if we are going to do gifting, we want to make sure that we're doing it in the right way tax-wise, or at least understand the tax rules. And I think you're going to learn, uh, most people are going to learn something here they didn't know about gifting. Most people that I talk to think gifting involves the payment of a lot of taxes, a lot of income taxes. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, it does not. And Brian, I have heard from people say, you know, I'd like to gift my children a lot of money, but I understand that I can't gift more than about $15,000 per year. Otherwise, there are tremendous tax consequences. Is that the case? Yeah, that's what most people think, and that is absolutely not true. And one of the other things I want to talk about gifting is whether you should or should not, as they say on the airplane, put the oxygen mask on yourself first before you put it on your kids. Well, it's the same thing with gifting. I mean, don't gift away your nest egg, your, the money that you need to live on before you know if you need it or not would be a general rule on, on that. But yeah, most people think that they'll, they'll call me. In fact, I'd say a majority of people think that whether it's 15, 16, whatever that annual exclusion is, I cannot give more than X per year to my kids. And even if they think they can, then they think I am going to get taxed if I give away more than that. So let me explain this rule. The way it works is for federal purposes, you can give away, well, this, this is an exact number. Let's mm -hmm. call it $12 million a year. It's called the gift and estate tax exemption. So you can die with $12 million and anything above that will be taxed federally for estate tax purposes, or you can give it away during your lifetime. 
it's either or and each other. So the way that works is let's say that instead of, let's say the exclusion was $15,000 and you gave your kid $115,000. Oh, I can do that? Yes, you can. You can give them any amount you want. You may, though, have to file a gift tax return. Oh, there it is. I owe tax, right? No. So in this example, you gave away $115,000. The first $15,000, forget about it. It doesn't matter. Nobody cares. Everything above that, you have to report to the IRS and saying, I just used some of my lifetime exclusion. So let's say the exclusion was $12 million. You file a tax return, and the tax return would then say, I now can only give away or die with $11,900,000 because I used up 100000 of my $12 million exemption. For most of us listening, we don't care. Oh, that's it? Yes. You're taxed on the 100000 but your tax rate is zero because you get an exclusion of, say, $12 million during your lifetime. If you're married and have the proper will or living trust with a credit shelter trust provision in it, $24 million. And so now we're going, oh, wait a second. You know, that, And that number changes. That, that will change over time. Maybe they'll cut that in half in the future. But the basic rule is you can give away more than that annual exemption of 15, 16, whatever thousand it is, and everything above it, all you have to do is file a return that's going to say you don't owe any money. So, Brian, for those people who have thought about gifting money to their children, but they're not sure whether they want to do it in their lifetimes or maybe leave it as part of their estate, what are some of the main reasons that you would want to gift money to children while you're still alive? Well, there's a lot of reasons why instead of leaving it to your kids after you pass, you know, they might be later in life and it's like, well, boy, they could have used that when they were raising their kids or trying to buy their first house or wanted to go to college or all that stuff. They didn't get it then, so they had to get it, you know, they had a tough life and then you pass away Well, they're 60 years old and it's like, well, we're fine now. We would have been, you know, way ahead if we'd had a little help along the way. So some of the reasons why you may want to give money some you know obvious reasons of giving money to your kids but some of the ones that I've seen my clients really get behind is obviously for college mm-hmm. you you know a small investment i think about how much i've invested in tuition in my lifetime and how much more you know success i've gotten in my lifetime versus not getting that degree i can't even compute the number it's so high so that was a great investment for me my first house I uh, borrowed $6,000 from my dad. I said, Dad, what are you getting at the, at the bank? He said, 3%. I said, I'll give you 6 I need 6000 for down payment on my first house. So I bought a tri-level in Kirkland, Washington. I think that house is now you know, a million dollars or more. But uh, I didn't even pay uh, 86000 is what it was. And mm-hmm. I got a first-time home buyer's program. And he had to sign a gift letter. I did pay him back with interest. But uh, mm-hmm. he signed a gift letter. So that would have been a great way to gift if he had the, the capacity to do that. He did not. We did it in a loan, which is great, too. But he, he made it happen, so I got into my first house, never looked back. And had I not done that, it would be very hard to buy a house uh, later on. So, you know, buying a house, uh, starting a business, that's another reason, you know, a small investment in your kids can help change their life forever. Or maybe it's helping them with their kids, you know, private school or their kids' college. So there's there's some obvious, awesome things that have incredible potential return on investment as a gift during your lifetime as opposed to waiting until you've passed away. Brian, I had to chuckle a little bit about, you know, having a down payment of $6,000 on a house. <laughs> I mean, $6,000 is hardly a good down payment on a car these days. I think it's more like probably putting at least a hundred grand down on a down payment these days. So yeah, helping kids buy their first house and, you know, getting their foot in the door on the ground floor of homeownership is probably a very noble cause. 
What are some of the reasons why you would not want to gift money to your children while you're alive? Yeah, I've had a a number of people, uh, like, they're really struggling. They're working way past where they should, and they still feel obligated maybe to pay off their kids' student loan debt or to make it easy for their kids. And I'm I'm thinking, well, you're, you're killing yourself to give your kids a better life. I mean... Let them earn their own. So, you know, some people can get a little carried away and maybe take on burdens that maybe really shouldn't be their own. Sure, it's good to help, but but if your kid took out, you know, went to college and took out big student loans, then they they should look that at that like they're going to pay that back and get into a profession that will have the financial capacity to pay that back. I have seen situations where parents have funded. Well, I had to fund my kid's education. Well, what's it in? You know, it's you know basket weaving or something. You know, something <laughs> that doesn't have a economic output. And gee, they, it was two hundred thousand dollars to get them through school, and now they're working at the same job they could have done had they not gone to school. I'm like, okay, that's really on them. (laughs) I don't think you should feel (laughs) obligated because of what they picked to spend that money on. You Maybe you shouldn't feel obligated to have to work until you're 70 just so you can pay off their student loan for that degree that they selected. We're talking about uh, gifting to children and gift tax returns with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. Brian, there is a chapter in one of your books, Grandma, Please Don't Give Me Your House. I I mean, how do you handle non-monetary gifts to uh, uh, children. Are they subject to the same sort of taxation if you were to, for example, give uh, maybe a child a piece of property, a piece of land, something like that? That's a great question cause, because one of the things I talked about is, oh, give away as much as you want. There's no uh, estate tax. There's no gift in estate tax due. You're just eating into your exemption a little bit. However, if you gift assets that are appreciated, then you're gifting your cost basis too. So grandma, please don't give me your house. Grandma, you paid $10,000 for that house in Ballard way back when, and now you want to give it to me, it's worth, you know, $2 million. Well, I've got a nearly $2 million gain to pay tax on. If you pass away and then leave it to me as an inheritance, I will get the step up in basis and the new cost basis will no longer be 10000 It will be the $2 million fair market value. So when I sell it for $2 million, I have no gain to pay. So if you give it to me before you pass away, uh, it's all going to be taxable when I sell it. If, if I inherit it, then there is no income tax. There won't be an estate tax because your estate doesn't exceed $12 million. There might be some for the state of Washington, though. state of Washington has a very low exemption of a little over $2 million. So these are all tax questions. When, you, when you're thinking about gifting, just don't do it and then come to us later and go, well, how did I do? Like, well, <laughs> we could have cleared that up pretty quick. Quick, if you'd asked, you know, brought up the example and, and uh, we had a little conversation, could make an immense difference in the finances of you and your family. So the takeaway is to consult a professional before you do these things, because sometimes mistakes are a little bit hard to undo. You're listening to Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. Once again, if you have $500,000 or more to invest and you're looking for a new financial plan or maybe you've got a plan, you want to have somebody look over the plan that you already have. If you would like a no-cost, no-obligation review of your financial plan, call 844-MADRONA to get yours, 844-M-A-D-R-O-N-A. And as always, you can take a look at the firm online and request your plan at madronafinancial.com. That's madronafinancial.com. Brian, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about advanced gifting strategies, minority, and lack of marketability discounts. All that and more when Growing Your Wealth continues after this. 
Tired of getting only half the story? We've got you covered with the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with your host, Brian Evans. Now, here's Brian. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. In this segment, we're going to be talking about an advanced gifting strategy covering minority and lack of marketability discounts. All right, Brian. Yeah. I'm a little intimidated on this one here. The first one was rather basic and being, you know, somewhat of a layman in this particular area, I'm going to defer to you a great deal on this. So, we talked about basic gifting strategies in the last segment. What constitutes an advanced gifting strategy? How do you take it up a notch? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Sometimes we cover topics that are like, I'm sure the listener's going, what in the world is this guy talking about? <laughs> yeah. um, there's a lot inside my head. There's a lot inside the tax code. There's a lot of information we could cover. We're trying to break down advanced topics into understandable terms on this show. Sometimes the topics are really advanced. And I think that the, the purpose of the show is not so much that, hey, if I listen to Brian for 15 minutes, I'm going to know everything I need to know about this topic. Mm -hmm. You will not. But you may get just enough to go, oh, this topic, it affects me. It, it has something to do with my situation, potentially. Maybe I should look into it more. Maybe I should get some good advice on it. It's just kind of the entry point. It's, it's to say, does this apply to me? Does it not? Most of the stuff that I talk about is not going to apply to everybody that listens. Just know that. I'm just trying to cover so many topics, and once in a while it does. Or maybe it applies to somebody you know. So in this, you know, in the last one, you just mentioned the, the, the other just basic gifting strategies. I was able to say most gifts have no income tax consequences. Even when they're above the annual exclusion, $15,000, $16,000, if you give more than that, all you're doing is eating into an $11 million lifetime exclusion. No big deal for 99.9% .9 of the people listening to this. Gift away, you don't have income tax. You may have to file a gift tax return, but the tax is going to be zero. So that's the general rule. Now we're going to talk about the 0.1%. The 0.1% says, well, that's all well and good, but my estate is over $12 million, or my estate's over $2.2 million, and I'm concerned about, you know, state of Washington estate taxes or, or some other thing. Or I think that they're going to change the law. I think they're going to reduce the exemption. There could be a lot of reasons why you think that when you pass away, there's going to be an estate tax. If you think that you're going to be in an estate tax situation, you might want to start gifting now where you own real estate or a business or a farm or something like that. You might want to start gifting now and take advantage of some of these things. So as you said, there's an $11 million exclusion, but let's say that I have a string of apartment buildings for, you know, example's sake here, and they may be worth $50 million. Are you saying that if I want to gift these to my children, that maybe I should gift one of these buildings at a time rather than to wait and do them all at once? Okay, there's a lot in that question right there. Uh, first thing that jumped out at me is, are you married? Uh, yeah, I'm married. Well, then go to your attorney, update your will or living trust, and make sure you have a credit shelter trust provision paragraph in there. And then you'll make sure that you doubled your $11, $12 million exemption to $22, $24 million, and you're fine. You don't have to do any gifting, and you just got out of the federal estate tax. There's one right there. just jumped right out at me. Another one that jumped out at me is, no, you don't just give it away. So this is where we use these advanced strategies. So let's say I had that apartment or piece of land or business or whatever, 
And I wanted to have less in my estate because I'm worried about getting a big tax on it. Mm-hmm. And I want to transfer it to my heirs someday. So I might take that apartment building and put it into a limited partnership, okay? That limited partnership is going to have two classes of ownership. A general partner it has to have one and limited partners. Only the general partners can vote. So you're going to maybe say, all right, I put this in there. The general partner, me, owns 1%, and the limited partners, me, own 99%. As time goes by, I'm going to gift limited partner shares to my children. Now, when I gift $100,000, say, of value to my kids, they don't have any right to sell it, lack of marketability. They have no voting rights. They're a minority owner. 100000 is not worth 100 because they can't resell it. And even if they did, somebody's going to go, well, I don't have any control. And I can't even sell it myself. So I'm not going to give you 100000 for it. I'm going to give you less than that. So now we get to apply a discount. So if you had a $100,000 gift, you might say, well, there's a 40% discount on this, 35% discount. I'm really giving you $65,000 worth of stuff as far as as it goes for my gift tax return. But I gave you $100,000 worth of real estate or business. And so it's just kind of a weird thing. It, It allows you to give more and more and more during your lifetime without being subject to the gift and estate tax. And so it's just an advanced topic related to that. Now, the interesting thing is, is you could give that, uh, let's say you gave away 99%. You gave away all the limited partner shares and you're, you gave it to your kids and they come to you and say, Dad, we're going to sell this property and we want, we want cash distributions and we want to go a different direction. We own 99%. You only own 1%. That's what we're going to do. And then let's say I'm dad. I'd say, okay, I hear you. Let's take a vote. Well, Problem is, with you with you kids, you own 99% of the limited partner shares, which can't vote. I own the general partner share. So we have one vote. I vote no, so go away. <laughs> We're going to do what I say because I have the only vote that counts. And so that's how you can still maintain control even though you gifted away the value. And you gifted away faster than you could have because you took advantage of these minority and lack of marketability discounts. Boy, Brian, that sounds like a family soap opera type of thing uh, there. Sometimes it is. It's like a plot for a series or some (laughs) such. I think it's called Succession on HBO, where the kids and the, you know, the founder of the company are always struggling for control. We're talking with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs about advanced gifting strategies, minority and lack of marketability discounts. Brian, we gave an example of uh, maybe someone who owns a string of apartment buildings, but we have a lot of people in this particular area and particularly as we go east who do have farms. Can you give me an example of maybe a farmer or agricultural ownership where this may apply? Yeah, but I have first I have to chuckle at your your show. Problem with my show is it would only be part of one episode. <laughs> That's right. Because there is no drama here. It's like, okay, you don't have any votes, I have the only vote, go away. Yeah. End a show, end a series, no more drama. <laughs> what are you, you going to talk about? If you do the proper amount of planning, and that's a that that is interesting because if you do the right planning and have the things planned out and have the, the trusts in place and the tr- the right trustees and they aren't necessarily family members and you have the right you know income tax planning and the right products and the beneficiaries and so forth, 
uh, takes a lot of drama out. That is the kind of the point. We don't want drama after we passed away yeah. with our assets. Right. And I know everybody listening that knows anybody has dealt with an estate has dealt with drama. It was avoidable for the most part if they did the right planning. So that's another benefit that I hope people can get from listening to this show that, oh, there are ways to uh, take away that drama that may happen someday. Now, with the farmers, they, they have a, another interesting aspect because most farms have been passed down generationally and the cost basis is nil. It's, it's next to nothing. And so there's a big taxation. With farms, there's more, you know, generally when people own businesses and they want to retire from owning that business, they sell it. They sell it to an external party, sometimes a family. But generally, farms are passed down generationally, your kids or, or grandkids or whatever. So it's a whole different thing. The valuations can be very high because farmland, you may not feel rich. I mean, most farmers don't feel rich. Mm -hmm. They're like, well, I got a little bit of money in the bank. All my stuff's in my equipment. Uh, I work all the time. I've got this land that's been passed down. And yeah, it's thousands of acres. And somebody told me it's worth tens of millions of dollars. I don't feel rich. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I, I drive my old Ford. I, sure. I, I wear blue jeans. And, and uh, you know, I'm just like everybody else that mm -hmm. I run into. Just like my farmhand workers, I'm, I don't see we live any different, but on paper, I'm super rich. And so you might need some strategies. And gifting is part, you know, leaving land behind, leaving the farm behind is a big part for farmers that needs to be addressed, uh, especially where maybe you have some kids that want to farm and some don't. How do we structure the, the gifting around that? Step up and basis, credit shelter trust provision, all these different things. You know, if you're listening to this going, um, I know how to drive this tractor. I don't know what you're talking about, Brian. Yeah. You're speaking <laughs> of foreign language. And most people probably listening to me right now going, what language are you talking right now? <laughs> but uh, just realize there are, you know, if you, if you can take the time to do the planning, lay the stuff out, you can probably come up with solutions that can satisfy what you want, pass uh, your farm on generationally to where you want it to go. And the common theme in all of this is we don't want to pass your farm on to the federal government or the yeah. state of Washington or whatever state you're in, in estate taxes, estate and gift taxes. So that's the, the bottom line of what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about strategies to reduce the amount of your estate that goes to the government and increase the amount of your estate that goes to where you want it to go. And Brian, is that the primary consideration when we talk about these gifting strategies, advanced gifting strategies, lack of marketability discounts? Does it all boil down to just taxation? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there, I certainly I, I mentioned that there are maybe strategies you can employ if you want a certain outcome to even out your state to kids that want to farm and don't want to farm, whatever it is, or get kids into the business slowly and, and allow them control when they're ready, not just when they have ownership of limited partnership. There can be other reasons. But yeah, that's the primary reason is is that uh, I think universally people I work with want to make sure that their family, their spouse, their kids, their heirs, their charities can benefit the most from their life's work. Most of them do not want to uh, give more taxes away. Now, now some people go, well, they should pay their fair share. Well, you know, I'm, I'm talking with the tax code here, and even the most progressive politician in all of Washington does not fill out their tax return and find out they owe money and then say, you know what, I don't think that's enough. So Bernie Sanders is not going, I'm not paying my fair share. I am rich. I make a lot of money. Here's my tax bill. They don't double it and send a check. 
Okay, nobody does that. Everybody, including progressive, everybody is trying to lower their personal income tax bill given the rules. And that's what I'm talking about here. Brian, primarily we've talked about uh, advanced gifting strategies insofar as, let's say, land and money. But what if you've got a business and maybe you want to gift that to a child? Do these principles still work there? Yeah, they, they certainly do work. It, it could be uh, any asset like that that you can deem a business. Real estate can be deemed a business, essentially. Uh, it doesn't really work for stocks. Stocks are not a business. You can't just give them stock. But another thing you want to consider is when you look at the assets that you could give, again, uh, you got to tie in the step-up and basis opportunities because if you have one highly appreciated asset and one that isn't, then you may consider that. Or let's say you have a business. Here's a whole other area. What about an installment sale? What if you sell it to your kid and you're collecting note payments? You may decide annually to forgive some of those note payments. Maybe you've loaned money to your kid to buy their first house. You may decide to forgive some of that annually, and that's the gift for that particular year. And so that's a way you could actually give, let's say you wanted to, you didn't want to uh, use up your exemption amount and file a gift tax return, but you gave a kid 200000 for a down payment, but you took a note back, and every year you, you, you forgave, you and your wife forgave your son and his, his wife, let's call it 15000 each per person for each of you, that's 60000 a year you could write off essentially on your note and not even have to report that. So, you know, just, just saying there's a lot here in these rules. There's no way I could cover this for everybody and not knowing your situation and all the rules around that. Just know that there are strategies for gifting, estate tax. They all tie together. And it's not for the average financial advisor to be able to address all of this. That's what, you know, of course, uh, the CPA thing uh, kicks in here. That's right. And the fact that you have all of this experience in this area, as well as the CPA firm, that's really the competitive advantage of uh, working with you here at Madrona Financial. We've been talking about advanced gifting strategies with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. Once again, if you have $500,000 or more to invest, you're looking for a new financial plan, maybe somebody to look over the plan that you have right now. We're offering an opportunity for you to get a complimentary financial review. That's a complimentary financial review, no cost, no obligation. To get your review, call 844-MADRONA. That's 844-MADRONA. You can also request your complimentary review online at madronafinancial.com. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. We'll be right back with more of our show after this. Do you ever worry if your CPA and financial advisor are on the same page? You won't have to if you call Madrona Financial Services at 844-MADRONA or visit them at madronafinancial.com. Now, back to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. In this segment, we're going to be talking about the estate tax in the state of Washington. And again, this is estate tax, not a state tax. So there is a difference there, estate tax and state tax. This particular instance, we're talking about estate tax. Brian, where does Washington state rank in the United States on the rate that we will pay in an estate tax? Uh, basically, we're number one. All there. right. Wow, that's quite the dubious distinction. We have one of the highest rates of tax on your estate when you pass away. What does a estate mean for estate tax purposes? It's the value of all of your assets, your house, your investments, your stuff, your cars, your socks. I mean, it's everything. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to add everything up when you pass away. It has some valuation. 
and the state of Washington wants some of that, and they have put in the highest, one of the highest in the country. They also have one of the lowest thresholds as to when that tax starts. So the combination of the two have us, I would contend, as the highest taxed state in the nation for people when they pass away. So, Brian, as you said, Washington has the highest tax rate, along with Hawaii. It also has one of the lowest thresholds for this tax of any state in the nation. So what is this high tax rate that we're number one in? Uh, We're talking uh, 20 percent. So a fifth of what you pass away with. The exemption is only about 2.2 million. So there's over 30 states that don't even have an estate tax or inheritance tax. And so most states have adopted the federal exemption. So for instance, let's say the federal exemption is 12 million and you pass away and your state's worth 10 million or 10.2 million, just to make it easy. So for federal purposes, there's no tax because it's below the 12. Most states, no tax, it's below the 12. State of Washington says, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, I see the difference between the 10.2 and our 2.2. We want tax on $8 million at up to 20%. And so we we want $1.6 million of your estate when you pass away. You can't give that to your spouse, you know, to your kids. You can't give that to your charities. It's going to us in the state of Washington. Uh, we want that $1.6 million. So, Brian, considering that Washington State has the highest tax rate here for this particular discussion, what are some of the strategies that we might be able to use that we can legally minimize these estate taxes? The first one is really easy. You can double your state tax exemption from around 2.2 to about 4.4 if you're married and you have an updated will or living trust drafted by an attorney that knows what they're doing, which they do. They tend to do. So if they draft that with that will or living trust, they're going to have what's called a credit shelter trust provision, a marital exemption trust by another name. Another name is a AB trust. Mm-hmm. They're going to have this language in there saying that when you pass away, the exemption amount of 2.2 is going to be put into trust and is no longer owned by your spouse. Your spouse can be the beneficiary of the income from that trust and the principal if needed, but it's legally owned outside of the, your spouse's assets, and it's in a trust, and it's got to claim that $2.2 million exemption. Then when your spouse passes away, they get their own second $2.2 million exemption. Without that trust being set up, there's only going to be one between the two of you instead of two of those exemptions. So clearly right there, we can save a ton of money. A lot of people listening have an estate, even though they don't know it, you know, they don't feel rich. Well, what's your house worth? What's your retirement account worth? What are your cars and tools and whatever you have worth? You add it all up and you go, well, it's well over $2.2 million. Well, you have a taxable estate. Even though you don't feel rich, you have a taxable estate. But many of you listening can get out of that estate just with that one move. All right, Brian, as you said, a lot of people don't know their self-worth. And when you really look at it on paper, I mean, you're way up there. So what are some other strategies? I mean, there are, as you said, 30 states that do not have a state or inheritance taxes. Would you be able to live most of the time in one of those states? Uh, Yes, that is an absolute uh, strategy. I've had a lot of clients do. They have decided, well, I don't think it's fair that the state of Washington is going to take 20% of what I've worked for. Uh, I've already paid my property taxes on my real estate. I've done whatever. And they 
So they, they'll decide to say, all right, I'm going to move to an, I'm going to have a second residence. I'm going to have a residence maybe in Arizona. I had a fellow that owned a bunch of rental houses, and he was well above that $2.2 million single guy. And he said, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to pay that tax. So he spends at least half the year, and in his case, even a lot more, but at least half the year in Scottsdale, where they don't have that low exemption amount for taxes. And so I, I, I've even kidded with people. I say, you know, okay, your state's really high. You're going to get nailed for state of Washington taxes. If either you or your spouse starts feeling poorly, move out of state (laughs) (laughs) so that when you pass away or you think, well, I only got a couple of years, I got a bad diagnosis, move out of state if you want to save this and live in another state as your primary residence and you won't be uh, subject to the state of Washington state tax under most situations. Brian, I know a lot of people listening to this are saying, you know, it sort of makes a lot of sense, but then by the same token too, it's maybe a little bit above my pay grade insofar as I'm understanding it. So can you give me an example, a real world example? This is how I learned the best. Can you give me an example of where this uh, strategy may come in handy? Yeah, let's say that you have an estate worth six million. Again, you don't feel rich. You own a Rambler in Bellevue. And you, you inherited your parents' house across the streets. So now you have two houses in Bellevue. A 401k accounts, and you bought some Microsoft stock way back when. And then you, you look at your tax bill that you're going to owe someday, and it's, it's over half a million dollars. Mm-hmm. And you go, wait a second, how did that happen? And so, uh, as I mentioned, there's a lot of things you can do. There, there's certainly the, going to the attorney and making sure that's all updated. Can double your exemption amount. And then, well, here's another interesting thing that you can do in the state of Washington. You say, well, I'm not going to move out of the state. I like living here, and that's kind of silly. I'm not going to do that for tax purposes. But what if I started gifting to my charities or my heirs now? How does that affect it? Because we know that you can only have about a $15,000, $16,000 gift for federal purposes before you file a, a gift tax return and start eating into your exemption. Does that same rule apply in the state of Washington? No, it does not. And so what I mean by that is I had a client that was worth $3 million, and she was 90-something years old, and she got a bad diagnosis. And so she knew she didn't have a lot of time left, so she gave a $1 million to her kids. Now her estate was worth $2 million. When she passed away, she was under the $2.2 million exemption because she did not have to, though she would have to file a federal gift tax return, and the tax is zero. There is no equivalent state gift tax return reducing your exemption amount. So she was worth $3 million, Now she's worth two because she gave it away. And she passed away with $2 million. No Washington estate tax. Had she not done that, she would have been taxed on her estate would have been taxed on the 800000 that exceeded her $2.2 million exemption. Brian, no one likes to pay taxes. It is a part of life, though. What long-term effect do you think that this high estate tax will have on Washington State and the citizens of Washington? Yeah, well, there's to me, there, you can break taxes into two places. One is unavoidable and one is avoidable. Sometimes I have a choice when I pay tax. Now, when I go to work, I have no choice. I'm earning money. I will pay federal tax. I'll pay any state income tax if we have it. Unavoidable, if I'm going to live a normal life, I will pay that tax. Now, the taxes that are avoidable is the tax on the sale of my business. I don't have to sell my business or sale of my real estate or this estate tax. These are ones where I could plan around. I could say, well... I'm not going to be living in your state and pay all that 20% of my estate to the state of Washington. I'm not going to do that. 
Another thing with the capital gains taxes that, that have been you know brought up year after year after year in the state of Washington. If it's hard to do business here or you don't want to grow anything here, then you'll move to another state because you, you're just not going to want to pay that tax. Uh, you might think it's quite unfair that you know you're paying it, but if you had a different address, you don't pay it. So anytime you have avoidable taxes, we're gonna we're seeing a mass exodus. I mean, you look at New York and, you know, they started taxing Wall Street like crazy and executives and the state tax, the the borough tax, the city taxes, taxes on taxes on taxes. Finally, New York is no longer the the banking hub of the United States. It's Charlotte. Mm -hmm. It's Miami. It's all moved down to to states that will accept them. Their executives have moved out. Uh, Californians are moving out in droves to the Intermountain states and to Texas, Chicago, Northeast, moving to Florida primarily. All those areas are booming. The people moving there are the people with the money, and they're taking their tax base with them. And so clearly I see, you know, any state that starts saying, hey, you're the evil empire if you've been successful financially. We want your money. And I see that more and more uh, in the state of Washington. It's like, well, you didn't earn it. You didn't work weekends for your whole life to, to earn it. Now you want it. Well, okay, but I don't want to give you give you my labor. And, and you're just picking me out uh, specifically. So people rebel. They move. They make decisions that take that that money out of the state that wants to impose taxes above all of the states around them. We've been talking with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs about the Washington estate tax rules. And of course, handling estate tax is simply a part of a good financial plan. Once again, if you have $500,000 or more to invest, you're looking for a new financial advisor. Maybe you don't have a plan. You would like an initial consultation, a review of what you have got to determine the plan for you. If you would like a complimentary review, call 844-MADRONA. That's 844-MADRONA. And as always, you can request your review online at madronafinancial.com. That's madronafinancial.com. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. When we come back, we'll talk about why you should roll up your 401k at age 59 and a half and more when our show continues after this. Now, back to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. In this segment, we're going to be talking about why you should roll over your 401k plan at age 59 and a half. So, Brian, it comes time to roll over your 401k. We're talking about rolling it over at age 59 and a half. Is that the only time that you can roll over your 401k or is that the earliest? What are some of the other circumstances? Uh, no, it's not the only time. So anytime you're separated from service, meaning you've left the job, you quit the job, you've been fired, you no longer have that job and you're no longer an active participant in a plan, you can roll that money into your IRA and that is not a taxable event. I'm always asked that. Well, if I roll it over, I got to pay tax on it, right? No, you do not. If you do it properly, you have what's called a trustee to trustee transfer. It goes from the custodian where it's at to a new custodian like at Fidelity or Schwab or something like that in your IRA account directly where you don't touch it. So that is one reason you'd roll it over. But if you're still working at a job, and you turn 59 and a half, most 401k plans and similar types of plans allow for you to do an in-service trustee to trustee transfer, meaning that let's say you have a million dollars in your 401k plan, you wanna roll 800,000 out. And so you can take 800,000 and move it to your IRA. And so that's what we're talking about. 59 and a half, you can do that even if you're still working. So that's the magic of the 59 and a half. 
So, Brian, we're talking about rolling that money out, but, I mean, how do you make the decision as to whether or not you should roll it out or simply just leave it where it is? Yeah, well, one of the one of the answers to that is pretty simple. If you're listening to this and go, oh, yeah, I've got a 401k, old 401k plan money that's still with where it was, and I'm, I'm working somewhere, and I'm 59 and a half, and I've got new 401k money there, and, and so my question to you would be, what's it in? And you're well, it's in uh, mutual funds, I'm pretty sure. You know, if, <laughs> if you don't know what it's in, then you probably might want to think about rolling it over to have somebody come alongside you and help you manage that. Because I would say uh, well above 50% of the time, well above, people will look me a little blankly and go, I haven't really looked at it. I think it's in X, Y, or Z. I think it's in stocks or bonds. And I said, do you, do you want to be in bonds? Well, no, I, I've not heard in, that they're going to be a great investment. But that's where it's in, right? Yes, I think. <laughs> you know, so these conversations happen. I'm, I'm not disparaging that. I'm just saying that well, we don't always know. And if you don't know, then, then maybe you could use some guidance, clearly, or have a review of it or have a financial advisor alongside of you. Or I go on and on and on as to, okay, maybe what it's in isn't the best thing. Other reasons are you say, well, I know exactly what it's in. I have 20 choices and they're all about the same. I can buy indexes of stocks or I can buy indexes of bonds and that's it. I would like one of those lifetime fixed index annuities. I want some private non-traded REITs. I want some sector funds. I want some individual stocks on and on and on. I want some other things, but they don't offer it in my plan. I'm going to roll this over, and whether I manage it or it's professionally managed outside, one way or the other, I want access to investments I cannot get within the plan I'm in. Brian, is there ever an occasion where you may just want to cash it out and pay taxes on the cash? Sure, sure. If you're 59 and a half, you know, I have a conversation. Yeah, I've got this $3,200 401k plan from way back when, and I'm not sure what it's in. Should I roll that over? I'm like, well, aren't you guys building a new house? Yeah, we're building a new house in Idaho. Boy, it's getting more expensive. All prices are going up. Well, cash it in. Pay the little bit of tax. You retired. You're at a low tax bracket. You're at 12%. Why don't you just cash it in and not even worry about it? And they're like, oh, yeah, we could totally use that money. Great advice. So, yeah, there's absolutely a situations where you just cash it in. So, Brian, you can cash it out, as you said, pay the taxes. You can leave it where it is if your employer allows that. But what about rolling it into a Roth? Yeah, I mean, you might decide to roll it to your IRA, and then at some point you have the ability, let's say uh, you roll it to your IRA and you retire at 62 years old, you roll it over and you're 59 and a half. And you said, you know, at 63, I'm not going to be earning any money and I'm going to not be taking Social Security yet. I've got zero taxable income. My wife and I, can't we roll over like $100,000 and pay at a really, really low rate? And I'd say, yes, exactly you could. So you might have a strategy for a few years to roll that money over to go ahead and volunteer the tax at these really low rates because you're not working. And so that's another strategy there. Brian, earlier I talked about that I learned best with examples. Can you give me an example of this particular strategy? Yeah. So uh, let's say we have a person with 401k at Boeing, and she you know, has offered basically some index funds, as I mentioned, target date funds, Boeing stock, and that's pretty much it. I mean, that's their, their mix. And she can meet with the, the free advisor. I, I, uh, in this case, she said, yeah, the guy was about 20 years old. He came into the lunchroom, and he said, oh, I'll help you pick from that. And like, 
yeah, that's not really what I want. And when, when she did talk to him, it was kind of a 50-50 stock bond portfolio. And she knows she doesn't want to be in bonds, but, you know, that's what they're told to do. You know, mix it up between stocks and bonds because that's the only options they really have. Or Boeing stock. I mean, that was that's kind of it. So that wasn't helping. Now there's these target date funds. She said, well, I'm investing, you know, I, I'm going to target 2025 retirement. So I invested in the 2025 target fund. That makes a lot of sense, right? I said, well... What that means is it's a three-year portfolio, and so that target date funds is almost all in bonds. And I thought you just told me you didn't want bonds. And I'm like, well, yeah, I don't want bonds. I thought target date fund meant, you know, they were doing something special. Not really. It's bonds. So what I'm saying is that the choices you have are stocks, bonds, bonds, stocks. Bonds and stocks, stocks and bonds. You know, it's just that's kind of right, it. Right. And real general categories. And last year, the bond index lost money. The U.S. aggregate bond index lost money. Last year was a great year in the market. There are things that can make money. What about that big asset class called real estate? What about that big asset class called insurance company products like lifetime fixed index annuity to pay a guaranteed, you know, increasing lifetime cash flow? What about those things? You know, there, I, I talk about the five areas you can invest in, cash, bonds, stocks, insurance company products, and real estate. Well, in your 401k, you don't get two of them, uh, the insurance company products and real estate, which can provide you cash flow in your retirement and so forth and, and some protection, some non-correlated assets, et cetera. And so a person like this would say, I don't want my money sitting with these limited options and I don't want a 50-50 stock bond split from the 20-something-year-old in the lunchroom telling me what to do. I want options. And so in this case, we would roll that money over into her IRA, and then we have access to all of the the different products, and even individual stocks if she wanted or whatever, have access to all the markets. And one of the things I wanted to mention, Jeff, is we just added a new service at the firm, and that service is to help people with existing 401ks. You may say, well, that's all fine and good, Brian, but I'm 52 years old, and I started working at Microsoft when I was 25, and I've got a million dollars in my 401k plan and you're telling me I really can't work with you for another seven and a half years. Well, that's not the case anymore. Now we can help uh, manage 401k plans within that plan and we can take the options you have and help you manage those. Uh, let's say you just look at those and say, that's all Greek to me. I don't understand target date funds. I don't understand indexes. I don't know stocks from bonds, foreign from US, small cap from large cap. I don't understand any of it. I could use some help on this. So we can now come alongside you and help you manage your 401k plan. So that's good to know that you don't have to be 59 and a half or older before you have to worry about these things, or at least get the advice of Madrona Financial Services. You're listening to Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. We're talking about rolling over your 401k. Brian, when it comes to something like this, rolling over a 401k, there's so much information out there. I would imagine that communication and planning is ultra important when it comes to making this decision. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I've noticed over the years is so many people come to me after they've been working their whole career and then start getting advice at the end. And then we, got, we might uncover, boy, there's some things we could have done better along the way. You know, we're not going to look for those to point them out. The past is the past. But uh, certainly you can see that. And I'm sure other they see it themselves. They're going, well, gosh, if only I had paid some attention to X, Y, or Z or gotten some good advice on a few things, my finances would be really different today. And so it's unfortunate that we have to wait till we're 59 and a half before we can roll it over and then hire a financial advisor to maybe come alongside you. You know, you're in your 60s already before you can get any advice. Well, 
I'd rather get advice before I'm in my 60s if possible. And so here, again, here's a way where we can come alongside someone and actually, let's say they're in their 40s or 50s and say, all right, we can come alongside you. We can work within the confines of your 401k plan. But what about doing a financial plan? What about answering all those questions that come up along the way so you can make really good decisions in your 40s and 50s, setting yourself up for your 60s? And so part of financial, biggest part of financial planning is not picking the Vanguard fund over the Fidelity fund over the Schwab fund. I mean, they're, they're going to do whatever they do. It's about the, the big picture, which we talk about on this show all the time. And so having access to someone that can come alongside you, I think, is so imperative to a successful financial career. We're talking with Brian Evans of Drone Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs about rolling over your 401k. Once again, if you have $500,000 or more to invest, you're looking for a new financial planner or you're looking for a first review that could lead to a plan, no cost, no obligation, entirely complimentary, call 844-MADRONA. That's 844-MADRONA. You can also request your plan online at madronafinancial.com, madronafinancial.com. Out of time for this week, Brian. Thank you so much for joining us this week. For Brian Evans, I'm Jeff Shade. Get out and enjoy this weekend in this great part of the country that we live in. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Growing Your Wealth. No statements made during the Growing Your Wealth radio show shall constitute tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own legal or tax professional on your individual information. Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services is licensed to offer investment advisory services through Madrona Financial Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Madrona Insurance Services, LLC, a licensed insurance agency, and an affiliate of Madrona Financial Services. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investors cannot invest directly into indexes. No investment strategy, including Asset allocation or diversification guarantees a profit or guarantees the avoidance of loss. Financial planning is an important tool that does not guarantee specific outcomes.